We all know very well that Parah Aduma is the one mitzvah that is completely beyond anything rational. Nobody could ever understand it. In fact, even Shlomo Amedah, who was the wisest person, said, I thought I would be able to work it out. It's completely beyond me. And yet, on the other hand, we find that Debeshter reveals to you, I'm going to explain the reason behind the Paraduma. So we need to understand why is it so important that there's this, this element of Judaism that is completely super rational. If Hashem could explain it to Moshe, why, is, why doesn't he explain it to everybody? Except for the fact that we need an element of Judaism. We need something that is so inexplicable to remind us that fundamentally the whole of Torah is beyond our grasp. And what Hashem has allowed us to understand is only really scratching the surface. Which, of course, then raises the question in the other direction. So how come Hashem revealed it to Moshe Rabbeinu? And that's going to take us into the secret of Tumas Meis, this idea of a disconnection between body and soul, which is so objectionable that Moshe Rabbeinu said, how could we ever get around it? And so that's the greatness of Torah, is that it shows the impact of the Neshama even on a body after the Neshama is no longer directly connected with the body. And that is the secret of Para Aduma. The Medjus tells us on the Pasuk opening of this week's parasha that this is the Choik, the inexplicable law of Torah. There are four things that the Yetzirah could challenge and say these are completely irrational. Each of which the Torah describes the word Chukah. One is Eishasach, that you're not allowed to marry the woman who was married to your brother, but there is such a thing as Yibum. Vekilayim, that you may not mix wool and linen, yet you may do so for tzitzis, and also in the Big Day Kuhuna. Osira Mishtaleach, he has a goat that he sent on Yom Kippur to atone for the entire community, except the person who processes it becomes impure. Or Aduma, that has a similar theme. It atones and, and purifies somebody who was contaminated by a dead body, but the practitioner, the Kohen, becomes impure himself. In each case, we find things that are irrational. Not just irrational because they make no sense, but because they're beyond sense. And it plays out in the fact that they have contradictory laws, as we've just seen. Yet the fact that Shlema Melech doesn't say it about any of the other four, only about Paraduma, that this is the one that I tried and I examined and I researched and I thought I would understand it, and yet it is beyond me. As no departure from Paraduma, Hatanit Kent Masig Zain, that Paraduma is the only one he couldn't decode. His Murach as the Ikinian Achuka was his Nitapi Seichel, Chuka Chokakti Gezer Gazartis by Paraduma Dafka. That illustrates that the primary concept of a Choik, something which is the Abish's degree, you have to accept it even though you cannot begin to understand it, is specific to Paraduma. The fact that the uniqueness of the super-rational element of Paraduma is distinct from any other one of the mitzvahs that have no logical basis. So if this is the unique choik that is so completely beyond anything that the human mind could grasp, even Shlomo Melech's mind, then we understand why it's introduced not as Chukas HaPorah, the unique law of Paraduma, but Chukas HaTorah. So it has a bearing on the whole of Torah. Which indicates that the ultimate goal of the whole of Chukas HaTorah, anything within Torah that should be super rational, will all be expressed dafka in Paraduma. So if that's true, 
And this is the ultimate state of choik, the ultimate state of a piece of Judaism that is completely beyond the rational, then we have to understand a different Medrash which tells us, that the Ebeshter says to Moshe, to you I will reveal the secret behind the Paraduma. So that indicates that there is actually a reason. We wanted to say that this is not just a unique element of Judaism that doesn't make sense. But it's it is the ultimate state of a Torah expression which is beyond human rationale. And yet there must be a reason. Because Hashem says, I'll tell you the reason. <laughs> so that raises two questions. Number one, if there is a hidden reason behind the paraduma, why could Shlema Amelech, the wisest person on earth, not decode it? And secondly, if Moshe Rabbeinu was given the secret, why didn't he share it with everyone else? There are so many other areas of Torah where he did reveal to us things that Hashem had told him, so to speak, privately. We see that there are many elements of Torah, like the real nuances and, and insight of Torah. There are certain things that Hashem gave only to Moshe Rabbeinu, and he was very generous and he shared it with everybody else. How come now, suddenly, when it comes to Paraduma, he doesn't share it? So how is it that there is a reason to Paraduma? How is it that Shlomo Melech didn't access that reason? How is it that Moshe Rabbeinu kept it to himself? So therefore, we have no choice but to conclude. As many as is not given to them, but Moshe is not given So you have to conclude that Moshe Ben wasn't being stingy or cagey about playing his cards close to his heart, and I'm not going to reveal this. Then you'll see how special I am. It's none of that kind of thing. It's not even because Hashem told him that you may not share this information. What's the reason? The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't share it with the Yidden is because it was impossible to share with the Yidden. Because it's not something that a created intellect would be able to grasp. It was completely beyond anything, not only human intellect, created intellect should be able to, to, to understand. So if Moshe would have revealed what he knew to the Yidden, so what would have happened? They would have had the information and it would have meant nothing to them. They would have been completely incapable of understanding the information that he would have given them. Uh, which means that they couldn't be macabres and they couldn't actually absorb the information. Like David himself told Moshe Rabbein about the process of the purification of Paraduma, this is a decree that I have made. No created being can begin to grasp it. So it's not that Moshe withheld it. It's not that David withheld it. We are not wired with the capacity to be able to absorb this insight. That's why Shlomo Melech, as great as his intellect was, it is the intellect of a created human, so it's incapable of grasping and capturing this information. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the ultimate human being, didn't get 
of his own accord, through his own efforts to understand the story of Paraduma, it's beyond them. Just that the Eibishter doesn't have any limitations. The Eibishter can achieve anything. So therefore, It's just that Hashem, with His absolute ability to do anything, chose to reveal to Moshe Rabbeinu the reason behind the Paraduma. In spite of the fact that a creation, a human, or an angel for that matter, could never reach this information. So what do we see? Absolutely true to say that this is the ultimate choik. This is a part of Torah that is completely beyond the rational mind. So much so that Shlomo Amalek couldn't grasp it. Even Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't grasp it on his own accord. But because Abishta can do anything, Abishta chose to make it accessible to Moshe's mind. Which only raises the question the other way. Okay, logically, if Abishta could do anything, then why don't you do that for everybody? Why only for Moshe Rabbeinu? So the Fizesh stellt sich die Scheine, wie bald als Moshe Rabbeinu hat Masse gewinnt dem Tam von Paradumen nicht bekei Once we recognize that Moshe Rabbeinu got to appreciate the reason behind the Paraduma, not by his own doing, nor Debeshter hat es im Megale gewinnt mit seinem Kechabilt in Mugbol, but rather that Debeshter, who has absolutely no limitations, chose to share it with him in a way that he could comprehend, so the could have done the same thing for anybody. If it's got nothing to do with the recipient and everything to do with Hashem's absolute infinite ability to share, well, he could have shared with us too. So it seems that there's a reason why the Ebeshter doesn't want us to have access to this information. We need to understand that reason. The fact over here that it says, and it doesn't say this is the choik of the paraduma, like it would have, for example, said with uh, with Pesach, right? That says, these are the halochas that relate to Pesach. Over here we're making a very broad statement, and the statement implies, as the mitzvah from paraduma is, that implies that whatever it is about paraduma that makes it unique is reflective on the whole Torah. What does that mean? The fact that Paraduma is called Torah tells you that there's something about Paraduma which is indicative of the whole of Torah. What about Paraduma? The fact that it's called Chukas. So the Choik element, the super rational element of Paraduma is representative of the whole Torah. Now, this is an incredibly important piece of information that every one of us has to remember all the time. Because that means that that means that the super rational element that is unique to Paraduma is actually the underpinning of the whole of Torah. People tend to think of Torah as a purely rational thing. It's logical after all. You study Torah, you use your mind in order to grasp it. Therefore, we have to remember this every single day, that as inexplicable as Paraduma is, the essence of Torah is beyond the, the intellect, not just the human intellect, beyond intellect. What does that mean? So, this is going to impact our understanding of mitzvahs and of learning Torah itself. Is 
It's very clearly been described various times by the Rebbe in Chassidus generally that even though we have three categories of mitzvah, mishpatim are absolutely logical and you should be able to work them out even without the Torah. Eidos are those mitzvah, edos are those mitzvahs that once the Torah tells us to do them, they become absolutely clear to us. And chukim are the mitzvahs that are completely super rational. But the essence, this is what Chassidus explains, the essence of even the mitzvah that I can understand in human intellect, the essence of the mitzvah is beyond human intellect. And that's the truth of the mitzvah. It's not just what I can comprehend. In other words, what is a mitzvah? It's Ratzin Elimas is It's Hashem's supernal will, which is completely beyond any kind of intellect, not just beyond human intellect, it is beyond any kind of intellect. Now the Eibestarad Givold as the Ratzin from the mitzvah Salarokum and Slabish Varin Chachma Vesechel. It's just that Hashem wanted that His super rational, infinite Ratzin in certain cases, should be reinterpreted into terms that we could understand. Oh, Mishpatim, obviously you don't steal. Oh, Eidos, it makes sense. Hashem created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. It makes sense for me to rest on the seventh as well. So they just allowed us intellectual access. He allowed us intellectual appreciation. But that's not the essence. Why do we keep Shabbos? Because that's what the Eidoshto wants at a level that is completely beyond comprehension. Abaroich noch der Islabshus. So even once we reach the point that we understand the human capacity of understanding this mitzvah, it doesn't limit the mitzvah to our understanding. The mitzvah is fundamentally beyond logic, beyond the rational. It is fundamentally in the realm of Ratzin. That's we know. So we can apply the same principle to Torah learning. Even all of those aspects of Torah that we can understand with human intellect and we appreciate because we understand them. The truth is that the Torah we understand doesn't begin to scratch the surface of what Torah is. Torah is fundamentally beyond our understanding. So what is Torah actually? It's Hashem's wisdom. Just like you cannot understand Eibishter, you cannot understand Eibishter's wisdom. So you can understand a layer of, rev- of revealed wisdom that he has made accessible to, to us to understand. But the real wisdom, completely beyond us. It's completely obscured from all vision. So that's what we have to know as Jewish people. The mitzvahs that we do, we do because it's Hashem's and The Torah that we learn is because it's Hashem's Chochmah. Both of those are intrinsically beyond our reach, but Hashem and His kindness allowed us some element of understanding to make it settle neatly in our experience. So, this is something which is relevant to every one of us in our service of Hashem. The direct impact on us is that any mitzvah that we do, in spite of the fact that we may understand a value to the mitzvah, we do the mitzvah because the Ebishter said so, with acceptance that it's over our pay grade. So that means... Why do we do mitzvahs? Because Hashem said so. It's a choik. I don't have to understand it to motivate me to do it. That's what we say in the bracha of a mitzvah. That's what Hashem told me to do. I do it. So this is 
very, very important information as a Jewish person to understand that it's a bonus to understand what I'm doing or what I'm learning. But the essence of what I'm doing and learning is completely beyond me and I have to accept it whether I get it or not. This applies to Torah learning and in a sense even more than to mitzvahs. Be bald as Torah is in safe. At the end of the day, Torah is infinite. It's Hashem's wisdom, so it's completely infinite. Therefore, whatever I learn, actually, there's an infinite amount that I haven't begun to learn on this particular subject. Not only is there an infinite amount of other subjects I haven't touched, this subject that I'm learning, there's an infinite amount that I haven't begun to, to even recognize. So therefore, whatever learning I've done, just like I have Kabbalah's old to do mitzvahs, whether I appreciate why I need to do them or not, I have to keep learning whether I appreciate why I have to keep digging further into the subject. And the process has to be that there's a degree of this total learning which remains currently beyond my understanding. Now I have to work to understand it. And when I understand that, then I'll acknowledge that there's another layer beyond my understanding and I'm going to have to work to understand that. And you keep going and going and going deeper and deeper until you think you've mastered what you could never have understood. And then you realize there's more and you master that until eventually you reach a point where you recognize the true Ein Sofios of Torah, the real beyond comprehension of Torah. That's why when we're introduced to the Paraduma, which is the template for this understanding of the whole of Judaism, we're not told about the inexplicable law of the Paraduma. We're told about the inexplicable nature of the whole of Torah. Even though, as we've mentioned, there are many areas of Torah that have entered the human reach and realm and intellectual grasp, Yet we have to be absolutely clear that we know that every one of those elements of Torah that we understand is fundamentally in its essence beyond our understanding. It's a chukah. Not only is it a relative chukah, that there's another dimension to Torah that's more than I understand now. So there's the inexplicable part relative to me. No, it's like the paraduma, fundamentally beyond comprehension. This is what a Jew has to know. Mitzvahs, Torah, are fundamentally beyond my comprehension. So my dedication to them is a dedication to Hashem, not a satisfaction of what I appreciate and understand. If that's the truth of the whole of Torah, that it is really, really beyond comprehension, then I have to have at least one part of Torah that retains that nature to remind me. And that will remind me that all the other parts of Torah, even though they appear to be packaged for human consumption, are fundamentally beyond. That's why, even though of course the Ebesha could have revealed Tampara to everybody, but he didn't, so we would always have an anchor to our Judaism. Just like this part of Yiddishkeit will never begin to plummet its depth, will never begin to understand it. So I should appreciate that's actually true for the whole of the Jewish experience, Torah and mitzvahs. 
If every part of Torah had become accessible to us and every part of Torah we could satisfy ourselves with saying, oh, that makes sense. First thing that would have happened is we would never have had the experience of I need to do this because it's what Hashem wants because we'd always have the satisfaction of I need to do this because it actually works and makes sense to me. But besides that, Let's say that we confronted an area of our Yiddishkeit that needed us to be willing to sacrifice. And sacrifice is to step out of yourself and out of your intellectual mind that tries to justify why you should be able to sidestep this particular sacrifice. Nobody would be able to have Mesiris Nefesh. Because the entire experience of Judaism would have all been rational. That's what it would have guided a person's behavior within Torah always. Does it make sense? This would have infected and affected so many areas of Yiddishkeit. Not only when there's a crisis and I actually have to have Messias Nefesh, but generally, because any time a person has to do something which they don't resonate with intellectually, that requires Messias Nefesh. Now, there might be various parts of Yiddishkeit that any one of us could say, I don't really get this. I don't really appreciate this. And then we would need some degree of Messias Nefesh and it would be impossible because our whole Judaism would have been built only on what makes sense to us. In fact, a person who gets caught up in a Judaism constructed only on what makes sense to them and resonates with them could fall into the trap of what the Ramban calls a person who lives a disgusting kind of behavior with so-called Torah authority. In other words, they can justify their behavior according to Torah. Why? Because it all makes sense to me. Any person who only sees Judaism purely through an intellectual lens, it all is rational, it all makes sense, that's the person who is capable of justifying the most horrific behavior, because look, I found, an, I found support for it in Torah. That's talking about behavior. The same applies to actually learning and comprehending the Torah. In order for a person to reach the part of Torah that they could never have imagined reaching, that's what we call Matsasa. Just like you walk down the street, you don't imagine you're going to find money lying on the side of the road. If you do, it's a surprise. That's Matsasa, that's a Matsia. So in order for a person to gain understanding of the part of Torah that they would never have anticipated understanding, they need Yagia. They need to push themselves in a way that is difficult, more than I would have expected. A mailing Torah, as the expression goes. To toil in Torah. As long as a person is willing to satisfy themselves with, hey, it makes sense to me, I'm happy, I've understood this, why would they push any further? Why would they toil? If you don't toil, you don't really get to the depth of Torah. So both for observance of mitzvahs and for real learning of Torah, a person needs to have an element of Kabbalah soul slash Messias Nefesh. In order to get that, I have to know somewhere in my Yiddish guide that Torah is not just about what makes sense and is comfortable for me. It's dafka when a person pushes himself to learn more than what is comfortable, whether that means more time or more depth or more repetition. 
or where that means going against the nature of your mind. So I'm a rational person. I don't want to learn all that mystical stuff. I'm an esoteric person. I don't want to learn all that halacha stuff. Then a person can reach Matsasa, the real understanding of Torah, which actually is not just beyond, but even counterintuitive. Like, for example, we often discuss that the difference between Talmud Bavli and the advantage that it has over Talmud Yerushalmi is how much you have to work because things are not clear and there's much debate and things are left hanging and you have to try and work it all out. That's actually where you get the real depth. So das alles ist scheich nur wenn in Teile ist da begile an Indien, was es hechel gamer fun geder asechel. So the only way that a person would have the capacity for this kind of dedication to do mitzvahs that I don't understand with kabbalas all and even mesiras nefesh and to learn Torah in a way that isn't necessarily comfortable for me and really pushing myself. The only way I'd get there is if I'm conscious of the fact that at least one part of Torah reminds me that Torah is fundamentally chukah. It's fundamentally beyond human consumption. The fact that I have that one element of Torah reminds me that that is the nature of the whole Jewish experience. A reminder that whatever I understand, there's still way, way more that I don't understand. And that will allow the person to express your gaita putting aside what I care and what I think and what I appreciate and instead doing what I'm required to do, to really put in the effort. Until eventually a person can reach the ultimate state of Torah, which is the ultimate knowledge to recognize that you cannot know, to recognize that Torah is fundamentally beyond comprehension. Okay, so now we understand it. It's not that Moshe was withholding information from the Eden. They decided to share it with Moshe. They decided not to share it with Eden. Why? So we'll all have this element of Chukah Satera, which will guide our entire experience of Judaism, that Judaism should not be bespoke to my personal needs and feelings and understanding, but rather should be open to this absolute dedication to Hashem to push myself beyond myself, because that's what Yiddishkeit really is. So what's the obvious question? Why then tell Moshe Rabbeinu? <laughs> what does Moshe Rabbeinu not need this, this element? So the fees now the question's the other way. Seeing as they did reveal the reason, the logic behind Paraduma. So does that then imply, God forbid, that Moshe Rabbeinu does not have the ultimate level of dedication to mitzvahs because he understands them all, and the ultimate dedication to learning Torah, pushing and pushing beyond what you understand because he understands it all? Could it be that Moshe Rabbeinu should lose out, chas v'shalem, on what the whole chap of Judaism is because Hashem revealed information to him? How actually is it possible to suggest that David created a scenario where for Moshe Rabbeinu he would lack what is apparently a very critical part of Judaism, the sense of the unknown, the sense of the super-rational? How is it possible? So in order to understand this, we first have to analyze how the Medrash describes Moshe Rabbeinu's reaction to hearing that there is such a thing as Tumas Meis. So 
So when Moshe Rabbeinu heard of the of the uh, Tumas Meis, he says to the Ebeshe, if this is such a severe Tumah, how will this person ever be purified ever again? Lo the Ebeshe didn't immediately reply. But he says, Sean is Karkram upon us, Moshe says, the Medrash, at that time Moshe's face went dark. And I feel the Medrash, the Medrash, says the Medrash, even later, when Hashem explained the Paraduma, and that that's how you purify a person, so the Moshe Rabbeinu said, and that's it? That's the whole thing? That's how you reverse this horrific Tumah of Tumas Meis? So that's how the Medrash describes it. We have to understand what was bothering Moshe so much, and why was he so dissatisfied with the response? The truth is that there are other kinds of Tumah which in certain respects seem to be even worse than Tumas Meis. For example, Vitumas Zav Unmetzera. So, a person who is impure from cont- contamination from a dead body is not allowed in the Mishkan or the Beis Hamikdash. In other words, the immediate precinct of the of of the Shechina itself. But it could be in Machne Levia, which is basically the Azara in the Beis Hamikdash. It could be there. In other words, it's not complete cessation from holy connection. Whereas a person who's a Zov has to be outside of the Machne Livia, cannot be anywhere in the precinct of holiness. Worse than that is somebody with Tzaraz who gets sent right outside of the whole camp. So, in a certain regard, they seem worse than the Tumas Meis. Also, by Zavah Metzeres Tumah Yotzeh Aleyan Migufon Mashei Kenatmei Meis Vos Tumah Kumt Fun Onur In Ames Ve'oid Whereas, uh, here's another difference. A Zav and a Metzeres is impurity inside their own biology. Whereas Tumah Meis means just somebody was in touch with something impure. Surely that's not as bad. So, Tovah Vosat Meisha Rabbein and Dafka Batumas Mes Zich Givundet Biznes Kark Muponov Viazeh Kentorveren so why is it that Dafka Batumas Mace, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu was so shocked to the point that it actually changed his features. How could you become purified? What do you mean? You could purify somebody who has biological impurity. Surely you could purify somebody who has been in touch with impurity. How come he never raised this question earlier? The other Tumas were introduced earlier and they have such horrible impact. Why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu raise the question then? So in order to understand this, we need to appreciate that Tumas Meis is more than just the fact that here is somebody who was in contact with a dead body. There's a fundamental principle about a dead body that is objectionable to Judaism and Moshe Rabbeinu found very difficult to swallow. What is that? So Debir Any other Tumas, including Saras and including Azov, the human who has the Tumas is still alive. And therefore, it's a goof or satan sechaneshama. We're talking about a human physical body, but it is with a neshama inside it that keeps it going. On the far is a film, and the goof is Tommy Givoran, Vibaldobes, Kvinsachanema, Neshama, Vasis Kedekalikami, Malmamish. So, yes, the body might be impure, but who's living inside that body? And a shama that is Kedekalikami, Malmamish, and Debish Tezakol Yochol, which means that there's a piece of Hashem who is totally infinite and capable of everything, omnipotent. It's logical to assume that the Neshama is powerful enough that at some point, in some way, it will override the Tumah and get rid of it.
that will follow a particular process like immersion in a mikvah and that would allow the neshama to retake control over the body and push out the impurity and re- revert a state of holiness. Why? Because there's a neshama there to assist. But when you talk about a dead body, the reason this body is impure is because of the absence of the neshama, because it's not alive. And it's all from the neshama. There's a separation between body and soul. The body has no power to overcome impurity. What's the body? It's, it's from dust to dust. That's what it is. Those given the Shalema Moshe, that's Moshe's question. We can come in the Tarif and Azad Tumah. How can you purify that body or whatever has been in touch with that body from that impurity? The only reason that there is this impurity is because there has been a breakdown between godliness, holiness, and this body. How do you cure that? Mele, other Tumas, the Neshama is still there, the holiness is still there. Here, the whole tuma comes from the fact that there is no holiness. Let's take this deeper. The Indian from tuma is We can understand very clearly that tuma is not some kind of soil or stain on the human body that you wash off with soap. We understand that Tumah is a spiritual contamination that blocks connection between the person and Hashem. It's that connection that we have to Hashem via Torah and Mitzvahs, a soul connection, that's what keeps us truly alive, as the Pasuk says. That weakens the life, the true life of the Jew, and therefore the Jew becomes Tommy. Now, if that's the general principle of Tumah, we understand that there are various levels and various, various degrees of impurity. The different kind of Tumah will be a symptom of or related to the different degree of weakness of connection between the person and Hashem. So as long as the person still retains some connection to Hashem through Torah and Mitzvahs, even if right now that connection has been weakened, it can be strengthened. So the person is still alive, the person is still engaged with Torah and Mitzvahs, ramp up your Torah and Mitzvahs, bolster your connection, and you'll come to life again. But what happens if a person does something which is so radical that they sever their spiritual connection? They cut themselves off from spiritual life. What happens if that spiritual death is the direct cause of physical death? God forbid. There is the concept of Tumas Meis. That means that there is a complete cutoff between the person and Elikus, between the person and holiness. That's why Moshe goes colors. 
Wie kann sein die Teile von Atmei Meis? Von Atome, was kommt durch und von Aguf Meis? Warum die Neshama Atme ist doch auf viele Beschlussachet, also warum die Itoi, welche ist geworden in ganzen Abgrößen von der Bekosten Teile und Mitzwes? Moisha Abene says, how do you ever fix this? The Neshama, we get it. The Neshama was never affected. Even in the worst of errors, the Neshama remains absolutely loyal to Hashem. But this is the body we're talking about that has now lost all of its connection. How can you come back from that? How can you heal that? That's Moshe Rabbeinu's big question. Complete severance from godliness seems like it is a one-way ticket. So to respond to that, that's why Hashem says to him, That's the power of Torah. Torah doesn't have to make sense. Yes, you're facing a problem over here that makes no sense. How do you reconstruct a connection of holiness where the connection has been completely obliterated? That's the power of Torah. Torah doesn't have to be locked into what makes sense. Even in a scenario where a person's physical self has become completely detached from the spiritual self, completely disconnected from Torah mitzvahs, the fact that there was a neshama in this body and the neshama utilized this body as its way to perform mitzvahs and to learn Torah, the neshama, which has an eternal component to it because it's a part of Hashem, when put together with the power of Torah, which is also eternal, that has the possibility to together they can impact the body to have a lasting effect of the neshama, even though the neshama is no longer in the body. Even later, once the body and soul have lost their direct connection, the impact of the neshama plus Torah can even affect the body after the neshama has left. And therefore it's possible to purify even the impurity that came from such a terrible spiritual circumstance. Detachment of body and soul. Actually, this would explain, at least on a spiritual level, why it is that the Gemara tells us that a tzaddik doesn't make you tame. So if a person goes within proximity of a tzaddik who has passed, the person does not become tame. Because in the case of a tzaddik, there is no distinction between neshama and body. Famously says in, in Tanya that the life of a tzaddik is the neshama. It is the avas Hashem. It is the emunah. And that's what keeps their body alive. Even if the neshama has now moved on and is no longer physically in the body, because the real life of the tzaddik is complete ruchnis and connection to Hashem, therefore that remains indelibly part of the body. That, Debesha says very clearly, this is something which is completely beyond comprehension. You cannot explain it, you cannot justify it, that's how it is. Why? Because logic says that two things can only affect each other as long as they're connected to each other. 
It's illogical that something should have an influence over another item if it has no connection to it. And in fact, they're now at loggerheads. This one is dead, physical, detached from Torah Mitzvahs. This is alive, spiritual, and living Torah Mitzvahs. So logically, they should have nothing to do with each other. That's the chukah. That's the part that doesn't make any sense. How could it be? That's because they can do anything. So, Moshe Rabbeinu is wondering, how can you ever repair the loss of connection of a person who's gone so far from the Torah Mitzvahs that when their body loses the Neshama, it actually loses any value of the Neshama? So, the Debesha says, I can do anything. And I can take the nitzchis element of the neshama that used that body to perform at least some mitzvah somewhere along the way and couple it together with the nitzchis power of Torah and we now have a way to create Tara. Now with that information we can appreciate how come it is that Debeshter revealed the secret behind the paraduma to Moshe Rabbeinu and it didn't in any way impact Moshe Rabbeinu's commitment to Torah that it should be weakened, chas in fact, not only does this not weaken Moshe Rabbeinu's resolve and commitment to Torah Mitzvahs, as it may have done for any of us, if we'd know what everything means, we might lack the capacity for Messias Nefesh. If you know who Moshe Rabbeinu is, it does the exact opposite for him because of who he is. Moshe Rabbeinu, as we know, is the, he is the archetype of Chochma. He is the personification of absolute Chochma Datsilis, divine wisdom. Which means, That means that Moshe Rabbeinu has the absolute bitl which Chochma Datsilis has, making him a vehicle for Ein Soif, for Hashem's infinite self. As the that the Eibishter the is the absolute truth, the absolute oneness, and that is experienced at the level of Chochmah. Okay, so what are we saying? Because Moshe Rabbeinu is the element of Chochmah, he is open to Ein Soif. So even with this information, he retains absolute Beetle, because that's who he is. He is Beetle, not like we, who have to learn Beetle, and we have to learn Mesiris Nefesh. Moshe Rabbeinu is Beetle. In fact, when you look in the language of Kabbalah, you can actually see that we say that Pnimius Abba, the inner reality of Chochmah, is absolute one with Pnimius Atik. The inner reality of Abba, which is the Paratsuf of Chochmah. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu's reality, which is absolute Chochmah, what is it? Not only does it connect to a higher level, Keser, but it is fundamentally in its essence, Pinuyas Atik, the deepest level of godliness. One way to explain it is this. Generally speaking, when a higher divine state has an impact on a lower divine state, it's what we call Mashpia Makabel. The higher state is in an empowered position. The lower state is in a disempowered position. And so you get the flow, so to speak, from the have to the have not. The higher gives to the lower. 
Und er hieß, dass es kommt in einem Öfen von Jüde, weil am Schacho ist verständig, als dass er eure Bildwad war, der Moshe Aspuas, als Seichel von Arab zu Talmud. And logic tells you that anytime you have something that is the higher, the have, and it shares with the lower, the have not, it only shares a fraction. Like the teacher who only shares some of his knowledge with his students. Yet, when we talk about the inner reality of Chochmah, that we say has within it, it's not receiving from Attic. It's not that Chochmah opens it up and then can receive this great infinite dimension of godliness, but rather that it discovers within itself that dimension. But also meant Atzmasein Soif, meaning that Pneumius Abba can discover within itself Hashem's actual infinite essence. It means that there is no flow from Attic to Chochmah. It's rather a discovery that Chochmah has that fundamentally, in my essence, I am Pneumius Attic. I am Atzmus. The essence of Hashem reflects in my essence. Now you can understand how Hashem says to you, I will reveal, not teach, I will reveal the reason of the paradigm. It's not information. Hashem's not giving Moshe Rabbeinu information that he's not giving him anybody else. He is revealing within Moshe, you, Primius Abba, you are this union of Chukah. Meaning, Zois Chukah Sapora, or as we say, Zois Chukah Satora, means that there is an element of Yiddishkeit that is beyond understanding. And there's an element that is beyond the rules that say if there's a detachment between Neshama and body, that you can never put them back together again. There's an element beyond all of that. Moshe Rabbeinu, that is you. It's not something I have to teach you. It's something you have to discover within yourself. And that will actually explain why it is that which is the area of Torah within which Hashem reveals this aspect of Chukah, both the Chukah of Torah and the Chukah of Moshe Rabbeinu himself, Dafka by something to do with Tumah and Tara, and not just any Tumah and Tara, but specifically death. Why? If I'm talking about a higher dimension, giving influence or inspiration to a lower dimension, so as we've already described, it is a Yurida, number one, it is only a fraction of what the host has to share, and now we're learning something else. It only operates as long as there is a connection. So the student only learns from the teacher as long as the teacher is teaching. Nitsch better. Not afterwards. Because the fundamental reality of Mashpia and Mekabal is that they are two distinct entities. And after the Mashpia walks away, the Mekabal remains a Mekabal. But when you have a connection, that is not Amshacha from one to the other. It's not Yerida, a degrading. It's not Ha'ora, a fraction of the sharing. Rather, but when you're revealing the real essence, as is the experience of Pneumius Abba, as is the experience of Moshe Rabbeinu, that he gets the essence of Hashem revealed to him from within, then, Because 
You can't now say that when you reveal that the essence of something, in this case Moshe Rabbeinu, in this case Pnimius Abba, that the essence of it is the essence of Hashem. You can't say that's only while we're revealing it. And then when we stop revealing it, it's no longer the case and you become an independent person again. Because it's not sharing. It's not downloading. It's not giving. It's not teaching. It's exposing your truth. When you expose your truth, it is always which will help us to understand how you purify somebody from being contaminated by the impurity of death. Yes, to the naked eye, I see a breakdown. There is no longer a neshama in this body, which means there is no longer a connection between the neshama and the body. That's what I see with my eyes. But what I'm not seeing is that the body is fundamentally holy. It has the Kedusha of Elikus in it, and it even has the Kedusha of the Neshama in it. Nowadays we don't see this. Because today, in the Golos world, the essence of Hashem is not revealed through our bodies. So therefore, today, because we don't see the essence of Hashem in the human body, that's why there's the possibility of Tumah when that body loses its soul. And a requirement for Tara, which requires something beyond explanation, because in our mind, in our eyes, we don't see how it could all come back together. That's now. But when, what's going to happen when Mashiach comes? What's going to happen when Mashiach comes? We're going to see that the Yesh Anivra is one with the Yesh Amiti. We're going to see that actually Hashem's essence does radiate right through our bodies. That our bodies are holy. Then you'll be able to see that the real truth of the body is the neshama that it contains. Therefore, in the time of Mashiach, there's no concept of Tumas Mes. Why? Because Tumas Mes is a breakdown between neshama and body, and at that time, there'll be no breakdown. And then everybody will be able to understand the chukah satira, not understand it, we'll see it, we'll experience it. It won't be something you get explained in a book. You'll actually see that this is the reality. And now it's absolutely clear that Moshe Rabbeinu being exposed to this information is not in any way going to downgrade his commitment to Torah mitzvahs or his ability for Messias Nefesh, if anything, to the contrary. Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't given intellectual property that nobody else had. Which he then would have grasped in his mind and experienced in his mind. What happened is, at this time, Hashem reveals to him the essence of Hashem as part of him. Now, he's not going to make less Messias Nefesh. This is now who I really am. I am an expression of Atzmus. But to the contrary, who could possibly be weak in the area of Messias Nefesh, lack Messias Nefesh? Only a person who feels independent of Hashem. So maybe they won't be so dedicated. So 
that person will have to work hard to have Masiris Nefesh because he feels distinct. That person will have to work hard in order to learn Torah properly because he feels independent. But Moshe Rabbeinu, who now recognizes that his whole being is Elikus, now his whole being is Mesiris Nefesh. It's no challenge. It's no effort. It is him. And that's why you'll always find that Pashas Chukas is read in the proximity of the Chag Agulo of the Fidik Rebbe Yud Beisigim Thomas. Why? The Fidik Rebbe was completely one with the Avoid of Messias Nefesh. It wasn't something he had to work on or to do. Especially in the work of spreading Torah in communist Russia, where he was imprisoned. Every single breathing moment in Russia required Messias Nefesh. It wasn't something he had to work on doing. That's what he did constantly, 24-7. And the Rebbe is the Gulu from the Meister given an Eifen as Zaman the Mitzvah is given an as Golish and a Mind Me'ateva is also given Melubashin Teva, and that's why the nature of the Fidik Rebbe's Geula was, of course, miraculous, and yet it appeared to go through natural channels. Why is that relevant to this conversation? Well, there's various ways that the world runs: nature, supernature, and supernature hidden in nature. There are various ways that the Ebesha runs the world. First of all, the first reality is the natural reality powered by the name Elikim, which has the Gematria Teva. This is a reality where the world is real. In other words, this is a reality where Hashem considers the needs of the world, the seasons, economies, the, the nature of health, pol- politics, whatever it is. That's Mamalikal Olmin, the Ebesha gearing into the world, seeing things through the world's perspective. Like a ch- parent that gets down on all fours to play with a child and sees the world from the child's eyes. Then you have Anogonesis, you have miracles. Miracles smash the rules of nature, override nature, and that stems from Shemavaya, which is beyond the constriction of nature. This is the dimension of godliness, which is completely beyond the world. Save of Kol Almin. Everything that happens to the world is of equally meaningless consequence to him. Because we're dealing with a dimension of godliness that is beyond the world, so it smashes the rules of the world in order to, to, to operate. And then you get Nisim Vasanim Lubash in Teva. You get miracles that play out through natural means. That derives from a level of godliness that is even higher than Shema Vaya, even higher than Seif of Because it's such a high level of Elikus, it can have the paradox of being beyond nature and natural all, all at once. Which means that the impact on the natural world is so profound that the natural world conforms to the miracle. Normal miracles have to break the natural world in order to happen, and these are miracles that get the natural world on board. 
Purim is a great example. Massive, massive miracle all through human channels. The king happened to marry a Jewish woman. Mordechai happened to save his life. Haman had already made him suspicious. He is the same king who provoked the anti-Semitism in the first place, signed off on, on Haman's decrees, and now he is the Dafka, the one who turns around. Nature itself is maskim to the miracle. It's the same style of miracle that happened for the Gula of the Fidik Rebbe. As the Zelba mentioned, the same people who decided, who chose that the Fidik Rebbe should be arrested, they were the ones who had to sign off on his release. The Teva had to be masked to the nest. That is very much the concept that we've described about Moshe Rabbeinu, where it's not that you have to be mashpia, you have to come into an environment and influence the environment to change, but you reveal that the, the environment is elikus. Moshe Rabbeinu, you are elikus, you are the chukas You don't have to learn the chukas the thing is that with the Frida Karebbe, he brought this reality into existence. Because of the way the Frida Karebbe served with absolute mysterious nefesh, he revealed within the world He didn't break the natural order in order to succeed. He did like the concept of Pneumius Abba is Pneumius Attic. The Friedrich Hebrew revealed in this world of the communist machine, he revealed the hand of the Ebishter, which is an incredibly profound kind of miracle. It's chukot, it's completely beyond anything that you could understand or expect, but that's ultimately exactly what Yiddishkeit is all about. Not to fight our enemies and overcome them, but to reveal the Kedusha within the world so that our enemies have to be maskim to the truth of Hashem Echad. You should see that in the whole world. Take it from me, Yad Mamash.